الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله الحمد لله الصيام والحمد لله قياما الحمد لله في السراء والحمد لله في الضراء نحمده ونستعينه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له أنزل علينا فرقانا إنا أنزلناه في ليلة القدر شهر رمضان الذي أنزل فيه القرآن هدى للناس وبينات من الهدى والفرقان وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبد الله ورسوله وصفيه وخليله يا أيها المزمل قم الليل إلا قليلا نصفه أو انقص عليه قليلا من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا يضل أبدا ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا يهدى أبدا ومن يعتصم بالله فقد هدي إلى صراط مستقيم ومن يتوكل على الله فنعم المولى ونعم الوكيل ومن يستغفر الله يجد الله غفورا رحيما أما بعد أيها المؤمنون This is we are now in the last 10 days of Ramadan and we should by now begin to feel the effects and the benefits of this month of discipline and this month of obedience to Allah Jalla wa'ala. The most important feature of this month during our days and during our nights of observing our abstention from the urges that we have one of the most important features is the feature of at-taqwa the purpose of this month is to nurture to develop to expand the range of taqwa in our internal universe. Kutiba alaykum usiyamu kama kutiba ala alladheena min qablikum la'allakum tattaqoon. What is this taqwa? <coughs> this taqwa is the heightened sense in our hearts and in our minds of Allah's power presence and authority presence 
in our personal lives, in our family lives, in our community life, in our social life, and in our existential being. This taqwa, if we wanted to be frank about it, is a lost feature. It barely exists among the Muslims. We are supposed to exemplify it. We are supposed to characterize it. But we find that it barely exists. Who, and you have Muslims all around you, family or neighbors or relatives or friends or associates, etc. You have Muslims. How much do you detect in these Muslims the quality of taqwa? There used to be a common word that is expressed and that common word has even left Muslim languages and Muslim societies. When someone, when a person, a Muslim, feels or senses that another Muslim is going off course, either he's not saying the truth, or he's about to do something wrong, or he's thinking of some type of vice, the retort to that would be, the observing Muslim would say, Ittaqillah, guard yourself against Allah. This expression now is almost an absent expression. It's gone. When was the last time you heard a Muslim say to another Muslim when there was some type of zigzagging as far as the human conscience is concerned? Ittaqillah. When was the last time you heard that? Which indicates that our level or our quantity of taqwa is virtually non-existent. To put it in another way, a taqwa is the internal government of a person. It's the government inside of you. That is a taqwa. It is the absent and the present at the same time. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Materially speaking, He's absent. Anyone see a material God around? No. There, it doesn't exist. A physically absent, but a spiritually and a mentally present. He should be overwhelming our feelings and our thoughts. Our fasting contributes to this sensitization of Allah's internal presence in our internal selves. كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامُ كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Fasting during this month of Ramadan is supposed to build our sense of internal strength. It has nothing to do with muscles has nothing to do with material fortifications. It has nothing to do with militaries and bombs. Nothing whatsoever. The fast has, has everything to do 
with building our willpower, our perseverance, our patience, and our fortitude. We are where we are today in the world because we live on and we've lived through and I when we say we it's the Muslims of the world we lived through the taqwa that is heightened in the month of Ramadan we lived through it throughout our history let me mention to you some of the most important conflicts in our history that took place during the month of Ramadan. If the month of Ramadan was a month of physical strength, if taqwa had anything to do with physical or material power, then what you are going to hear would not have these are the battles and the conflicts in our history would not have been successful during the month of Ramadan the first Islamic engagement that tested not our physical strength but the strength of our determination the first one was the battle of Badr that took place on the 17th of Ramadan in the second year of the Hijrah. That wasn't a test of how much military power we have. It was a test of how much willpower we have. And we overcame. We succeeded in that battle. The second battle that took place in the month of Ramadan was the liberation of Mecca. On the 20th day of Ramadan, in the 8th year of the Hijrah, the willpower of the Muslims, the characterization of taqwa, resulted in the conquest of Mecca. In the 13th year of Al-Hijrah, the Muslims engaged in the battle of Buwayb. That's on the Euphrates River in which is today Al-Iraq. It was during the month of Ramadan and the Muslims were victorious. The geographical area called Bilad and Nuba. This is a portion of what is today Egypt and Sudan, mostly Sudan. That was liberated during the month of Ramadan in the 53rd year of the Hijrah. These are happening in the month of Ramadan. And they were not meant for us to muster military or material strength as much as they were meant for us to prove that we have the quality of taqwa, observing Allah's authoritative power presence in our lives. That was in the year the liberation of Anuba was in the year, the 31st year of the Hijrah. The island of Rhodes in the Mediterranean Sea was liberated by the Muslims during the month of Ramadan in the 53rd year of the Hijrah. Al-Andalus, Andalusia, 
which is called today the Iberian subcontinent, that was liberated during the month of Ramadan in the 92nd in the in the year 92 after the Hijrah. The the presence of Muslims in the southern area of France was successful during the month of Ramadan in the year 102 to the Hijrah. There was a battle called Ma'arakat Bilat al-Shuhada which translates literally, literally as the battle of the martyrs' tiles. That took place in, on the ninth day of Ramadan in the year 114 of the Hijrah. The liberation of an area called Ammuriyah in Western Asia took place on the 17th of Ramadan in the year 223 of the Hijrah. The Muslims overcame, were victorious against their adversaries in the island of Sicily on the 14th of Ramadan in the year 264 of the Hijrah. The battle called the Battle of Al-Mansura between the Muslims and the Seventh Crusader Campaign led by Louis IX the king of France at the time, the Muslims defeated them in Ramadan, the year 647. The famous battle between the Muslims and the Mughals in a place called Ain Jalut, which in today's geography is in Palestine took place on the 25th of Ramadan in the year 658. Remember, during all of these battles and military encounters, the Muslims were successful because there was the element of taqwa in them. I have to clarify before I go, go on to some other battles. In some people's mind, they confuse the Muslim rulers the rulers who are ruling over Muslims with the Muslim peoples. The rulers, as we have explained, went off course after the period of Al-Khulafa al-Rashidin. But that doesn't mean that the Muslim peoples themselves had no Islamic quality in them. In our collective mind we confuse two things some of us think because the Muslim rulers were bad therefore the Muslim peoples are also bad and some people think that because Muslims some Muslims think that because the Muslim people were good therefore their rulers were good both of these are inaccurate descriptions and understandings of our history. We could have rulers who are off course and people who are on course. And we have to be very careful with avoiding the generalizations that lump the two together conveniently. Antioch, that's a city now in uh, the area of Syria and Turkey, 
was liberated, remember this was during the Crusaders period, it was liberated on the 14th of Ramadan in the year 666 after the Hijrah. There was a battle called the Battle of Shakhab or Marj al-Sufr between the Muslims and the Mughals that took place on the outskirts of Damascus. The year was 702 after the Hijrah and the day was the second of Ramadan. The island of Cyprus was conquered by the Muslims in the month of Ramadan and the year 829. Bosnia Herzegovina. There was a battle there in an area called originally in Muslim history books Qos Owa that translates in the Latin languages as Kosova. In that battle which took place on the 4th of Ramadan in the year 911 after the Hijrah the Muslims were successful and victorious. One of the uh, side notes to this battle is the pronunciation of Kosova. Kosova is the Muslim pronunciation of it. On the other side, on the counter side, are those who are not Muslims who call it Kosovo. Kosova, Kosovo. A little detail here that goes unnoticed, probably except for the Muslims who live in that immediate geography. Whatever the case is, what we learn from all of this is that Ramadan is a month in which we prove our taqwa we observe our taqwa, we manifest our taqwa, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't count whether we have the equipment, the arms, the wherewithal. Of course, we try to muster, we try to obtain whatever we can. We're not lazy, we are not withdrawn, we are not passive. We muster, we husband, what, whatever we can of the means of power. And that's about it. What counts is not that per se, but it is this spirit inside of us of endurance, of discipline, and of this feature at taqwa, unfortunately, that we don't have prevalent in our communities and in our societies. Aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullaha li wa lakum udu'uhu subhanah wa antum ala yaqeenin bil ijabah wa tubu ila Allah إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed Muslims We have 
a distance to go. But that doesn't mean we're going to give up. The feature of giving up is contrary to a taqwa. No one has taqwa in them and then they give up. That is unknown to committed Muslims. But in order for us to live our vital responsibilities, we don't want to go to a masjid and fall asleep. We don't want to listen to a khatib who is speaking as if he's detached from reality. We want to be responsible Muslims in a practical world. And to do that, we have to speak about issues. These issues have been taken out of the minbar, taken out of the masjid. We have to bring them back, put them in the context of Allah's and His Prophet's guidance. In the past couple of weeks, the airwaves, the media, the talk of the town have been this polarization between Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain and Egypt on one side, and then Qatar on the other side. Maybe someone will throw in Turkey. Qatar and Turkey on the other side. And then, all of a sudden, yesterday, this whole issue that was on the horizon, all over took a dive and almost disappeared what happened it's still a burning issue but it is it is not as prevalent as it used to be just a couple of weeks ago well what happened was the government in qatar de- decided to buy 35 F-15s and pay $12 billion for that. And then all of a sudden, Qatar does not look like the criminal and the fiend that it's supposed to have been. What happened? They wanted the money so that they can decriminalize a government? Isn't this something we should have enough brain power to see through how they are playing these emirs, these princes against each other in the month of Ramadan. Thirty-six F-15s, twelve billion dollars, and the issue now is cooking on very low intensity heat during the course of the past couple of weeks leaders of Hamas were told you have to leave Qatar and then one of the leaders of Hamas who is not in Qatar but in Gaza is scheduled to go to the Islamic Republic in Iran what's happening with these Muslims who are not supposed to be puppets that they play with in their political chess game. Hamas is not supposed, members, leaders of Hamas are not supposed to be pawns between Saudi Arabia and the United States and Egypt and Turkey and Israel and these things. In the past week, the government in Saudi Arabia, the same government that has control of this masjid over here, has withdrawn the books of a Sheikh Yusuf al-Qardawi from its libraries. 
All right, what's wrong? If we are led to believe that the government that rules there is against terrorism, why don't they withdraw the books of Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab and ibn Taymiyyah? Which, by the way, places them in a contradiction. The fuqaha, the scholars of Saudi Arabia, as it is called, drove us crazy in the past years using the expression al-wala and al-bara. They are the fuqaha of al-wala and al-bara. You ally yourselves with this side and you disavow the other side. You are in alliance with Muslims and you are in confrontation with Kafirs. Well, what happened? Look at, look at what is unfolding in front of our own eyes. Where is the wala and bara rhetoric now, today? When that regime in Arabia is doing what it is doing. And then news comes out that the ambassador, the ambassador, the Saudi ambassador was here in Washington, D.C. Who is responsible for the mess here at this Islamic center. It turns out now information has surfaced that he was responsible. He gave the orders for the terrorists who executed that operation against the embassy of the Islamic Republic of Iran in Beirut four years ago in 2013. Where is he hiding? Has anyone ever heard his name recently in the news? And then the Saudi courts these past couple of days they took a person to court a Saudi national a citizen of Saudi Arabia they took him to court why because he had on his website some type of communication with Hezbollah and Iran that's what they tell us. We don't, we, we haven't heard from him. But in the news, this is what they are saying. Okay, so you're speaking with them. Is it a crime to speak with other Muslims in other countries? Obviously, in the Saudi courts, it's a crime because they said to him, you're going to prison for 13 years and after those 13 years you spend in prison, you are banned from leaving Arabia for 13 other years. Where? Where Where does this have an Islamic base? And where is the taqwa of the Muslims when this is going on? And then one of the so-called enlightened fuqaha, enlightened scholars of this Saudi regime, by the name of Al-Maghamisi, he said, and like he's breaking new grounds here, he said, in that society of course, he said, it is permissible for a woman, a Muslima, to show her face. He said, this has been a matter of dispute among the fuqaha, whether she should cover or show her face. And because that is the case, she should be given the freedom to not cover her face. This is some of the progress. Call this progress in that obscurantist kingdom. And then, in the past week, news has been floated that there's going to be an inauguration of Flights between Riyadh and Tel Aviv. This is at a time when the regime in the Arabian Peninsula is saying that the number one enemy of the Muslims 
is Iran and not Israel. Now, they are planning on having direct flights and there's some other news items that say there might be a detour flight, meaning instead of flying directly between Riyadh and Tel Aviv, it will go through Amman, connect in Amman, Jordan, and then on to Tel Aviv and vice versa. And how are they going to sell this to their Muslim crowd that is deliberately made not to think? How are they going to sell this? They said, well, these flights are going to carry Palestinian pilgrims. Palestinians who want to go to the Hajj or Palestinians who want to go to the Umrah. When were these two regimes in Holy Land North and Holy Land South, in occupied Palestine and in occupied Arabia? When, or in colonized Palestine and colonized Arabia, when were they very anxious to see Palestinians go to the Hajj and to the Umrah? Then we have, in the past week, the government in Tunisia. You can remember in the past year, years, what happened in Tunisia. The government in Tunisia now has followed the Saudi line. The Saudis and Emiratis and Bahrainis and Egyptian officials, they drew up a list of 59 Islamic personalities, scholars, activists, academics, etc. And they said these people are banned from entering our countries. Okay, they're banned from entering Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, United Arab Emirates and Egypt. Now Tunisia joins that crowd. We wonder what Sheikh Rashid al-Ghannoushi has to say about the process of democracy. He made numerous trips to Washington and to other capitals in the West, believing, advocating in the type of Islamic democracy that he's convinced of. What is his comment about this right now? We would like to know. In the past week, there were what they call anti-Sharia demonstrations in the United States. And there were counter-demonstrations to them. Would you think that this would be a subject that they would speak about? These masajid under Saudi control in this country? Why? We don't have a right to express ourselves. Where did this Sharia implementation propaganda line come from which, which khutbah which imam which masjid have you gone to that you heard we want to apply the sharia in the united states this is obviously a line a political line that we we know certainly where it comes from and now they are imposing it on the muslims and then in the past week also, these are issues the Muslim mind, if it is sitting in a body and in a spirit of taqwa, should be attentive to. In the last week, they said, there's the soccer team in Qatar that wanted to wear shirts that had the picture of their emir on it. And then the international organization that is the regulator of soccer games around the world said, no, that is banned. You cannot have pictures of politicians or promotional pictures for certain commodities or any religious figure on your sports shirt while you are pl playing a soccer game. We wonder how far this freedom 
of expression and the freedoms go. Why? What happened? They're nervous now that, you know, some team is putting some picture uh, on its, uh, wearing, uh, wearing it on their shirts. One of the news items that didn't make it to the public, and we can understand why. After you hear this, you can understand why. While the President of the United States was visiting Saudi Arabia, the King in Saudi Arabia, remember, this is a President who, who makes derogatory statements against Muslims, and there's now a spike in racism in this country because of his green light statements. The king in Arabia, King Salman, gave President Trump a gun made of pure gold, rare pure gold, and on it is the figure emblazoned on it is the figure of King Salman. He also gifted him a sword, not an ordinary sword, a golden sword that weighs 25 kilograms. 25 kilograms, a golden sword that is that has other precious jewels in it, on it. Its price? Do your calculations. According to the news item that did its calculations, the news source here, over $200 million. This is at a time when Muslims in the month of Ramadan because of Saudi warfare in numerous countries are dying because of bullets or because of famine. And this is what's going on. And the king insisted that these are a gift to you personally because he was told that the presidents cannot of the United States cannot accept gifts. They, they're donated to museums or something else, but they themselves, at, during the time of their presidency, cannot receive gifts. To counter that, the king of Arabia said, I insist that you take it, that it belongs to you, and that it doesn't go to anyone else. Now, Saudi Arabia, on a final note here, for us to think with the discipline, the insight, the heightened awareness of Allah's power and authority presence in our heart and in our lives. I say to you here, listening to this khutbah and to others who will listen to it later on, if you are a Sunni, know that Saudi Arabia killed Sunnis, was responsible, was complicit in killing al-Gaddafi and Saddam Hussein. And it was also responsible in the unseating, in the overthrowing of Ali Abdullah Saleh in Yemen, Mubarak in Egypt, and Mursi in Egypt. Who are what? Are they Shi'is? Are they Sufis? What are they? And this Saudi regime is responsible for that. If you are of the nationalist type, Saudi Arabia was at war against Abdel Nasser in Egypt. Not because as it wanted to fool, and it did fool many people, because... He was against Al-Ikhwan Al-Muslimin, 
They are now against Al-Ikhwan Al-Muslimin. Just like Abd al-Nasir was at that time. But Abd al-Nasir had to him the virtue of saying and doing what was required to liberate Palestine. What are they doing? What have they said on the way to liberate Palestine? If you are anxious about Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa in Jerusalem, Al-Quds, the Saudis have sold the Palestinian issue altogether. If you like Islam and love Islam, watch now in front of your own eyes the Saudi rulers selling their souls to a shaytan al-Akbar and a shaytan al-Asghar and every shaytan in between. If you are a person who is very intent about your own madhab, whatever madhab you have, then be advised that the Saudis are anti-madhabs. They concocted a madhab of their own, their Wahhabi madhab, and they want to impose it on the rest. If you are a person who's against terrorism, and all Muslims are against terrorism, then be advised that the Saudis are the ones who create virtually created Daesh, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, all of these now groupings, and I'm sorry to say many of them are innocent Muslims who got caught in the Saudi net. But it is these Saudi shayateen who are responsible for that. And if you think of yourself as being related to the Arabs, there's information indicating that the family of Saud is a Yahudi family. If you think about the affairs of the Muslims in the world, know that Saudi Arabia has given up on the Muslims in Afghanistan, in Myanmar, in Bosnia and Herzegovina. If you are concerned with security in Arab countries, in the peninsula of Islam, in the Arabian Peninsula, if you are concerned for its security, then know that the Saudi regime has placed military forces along with its neighbors all over that geography, all over the land of the Prophet and Islam. And if you are against colonialism and imperialism, open up your eyes and see where the Saudis fit into the schemes of colonialism, imperialism, and Zionism. You can see it now. The Saudis are supportive of the Israelis who are against the Palestinians. Otherwise, if you are not concerned with any of these issues, then you are welcomed as a slave of the Saudi regime. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna attiba'ah wa arina al-batila batilan warzuqna ajtinaabah wa la taj'alhu multabisan alayna waj'alna lilmuttaqina imama Allahumma ahdina fiman hadayt wa'afina fiman afayt وتولنا فيمن توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا شر ما قضيت فإنك تقضي ولا يقضى عليك وإنه لا يذل من واليت ولا يعز من عاديت تباركت ربنا وتعاليت 
فلك الحمد على ما قضيت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك وصلى الله على محمد وآل محمد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة 